Well, last week we looked at um, the foundations of a, an effective family, and we, t- we talked about home improvement. And the most important thing for a family to have is a foundation upon who? On Jesus. And having that personal relationship with Christ. And as we discovered there in that story of Paul and his team, they encountered uh, the Philippian jailer, which is just one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts, and about the need to have the foundation in Christ to put together a great family. And we considered the family's salvation, not just the jailer, but the entire family in that, in that encounter. Now I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 as we're going to deal with probably what is one of the most difficult passages, um, at least in the book of Ephesus, if not in much of the New Testament. Uh, We're dealing with a a church at Ephesus that lived in an extremely pagan culture. You're going, okay, bad? No, it was bad. Okay, I mean, they had some wild and woolly things going on in that community. The city of Ephesus was home to the temple, uh, to the goddess Ar- Artemis. Um, and it's a facility that in the ancient world, it was twice the size of the Acropolis in, in, in Greece. You've seen the pictures of the It was just twice the size of that. It was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was such an amazing feat of engineering and architecture. And at that place, the people in the city of Ephesus would sacrifice animals. They would sacrifice children. They would perform all kinds of perverse and strange intimate acts. Uh, I'm recognizing the audience that we're talking to this morning. It was a wild place to form, uh, to worship this pagan goddess. And in fact, the leaders of the temple there were typically women, which was uh, quite unusual in the ancient world. Uh, in fact, one commentator says this about it. The women who were there, they ruled the show and kept men in their place. I know people like that. But the culture was one where the traditional mores of biblical values were not respected, primarily because they were not known. So as Paul came into that region and shared the gospel and people began to know Christ and began to see their lives changed, Paul said, we need to deal with some things from a family situation. So he writes extensively in the book of Ephesus about the structure of family and the relationships of family. And, you know, in our day, we find ourselves in a very similar situation um, because there's really about two major ways you can look at family. And it's the culture we live in, and you may have not heard these terms, but you'll recognize these descriptions when you hear them. One is called complementarism, complementarianism, sorry. And it's the idea that we we are to complement each other, and you all think, well, that sounds pretty good. Uh, It actually is a biblical viewpoint, I believe. It's one that says that there's a patriarchal view of the family. The father is called to lead. The wife is called to be a support and a role in that family, a a, a partner. It holds the view that the man should love his his wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, And a woman should, and the the word that's included in the text is what we're going to look at in a minute, is to submit or to work with her husband as the church submits to Christ. Uh, And in that view, you you have some things that come out of it, things like uh, only men lead uh, in churches because that's what Scripture talks about. Women hold positions that places, uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't place them in authority over men, and it's kind of a relationship where you complement each other. The other side of this is egalitarianism, and this is the one that is actually quite prevalent in our day and our culture. Many of you may say, well, this is what I believe. Okay. Uh, Here's what it says. It says, spouses are equally responsible for every aspect of family, at least where it's physically possible, okay? 
Uh, a marriage is a partnership between two equals that submit to one another. It holds the belief that marital roles are ability-based, not gender-based. And men and women can do any leadership role in a church is one of the plays of that. Now, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, because he uh, has a vested interest in them as, as the one God used to bring the gospel to the region, he wants them to live their faith effectively. And I want you to hear me this morning. I want you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, to live your faith effectively. And that's why I'm willing to delve into this difficult topic one that is, makes me uncomfortable to speak about. It may make you uncomfortable to listen to, but I want you to hear what God's Word tells us here and then let you and the Holy Spirit wrestle on how to apply it in your life. That's not my job to tell you what to do. My job is to give you the, what I believe is the truth and let you work with that. Paul understood the importance of family, and here's why. Because our families impact how we live our lives. If you got argument at home, you got argument in your life, Right? And it just really is difficult. If you've got strife at home, you've got strife in your life. You've got difficulties at home, you've got difficulties in your life. And so Paul, I believe he wrote this letter when he was in prison at Rome. And his intent is to share some things that they needed to pay attention to, especially, I think, in their culture that was so female-dominated that he needed them to understand God's layout for family. So I want all to do this morning is real, just real quickly, if you will, take an overview approach of Paul's approach, uh, writing here, and he opens with a section that is a challenging word to wives. And some of you are going to go, yeah, let them have it. But then he turns and pivots to the husbands, guys, so be careful what you say in the first part of this message because we're going to turn around on us next, okay? And then he closes the section with this, the path forward. Not just the path forward, the path forward together because ultimately we are all successful as we find the roles that God has for us and as we as I believe the word tells us to complement each other and do the roles that God calls us to so let's just go ahead and dig into it and y'all hold the rocks till the end of the hour please all right let's deal with the first one first because this is the one that's not me it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the ladies, okay? So let's look at verse 22 to 24, and let's just read it in the context, and then let's come back and take a look at it. It says this, wives, in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So you're looking at that word and you think to yourself, ladies, men, all of us struggle with this word. It's the second word in the verse. None of us like that word, do we? Who likes to submit? Who likes to deal with that? He repeats it again later in the passage. Uh, this is one of those passages that I think is probably one of the most misunderstood passages. And part of the confusion of this comes from our cultural viewpoint because we, as 21st century Americans, don't like the word submit, do we? That's a word we just don't like. And, you're, and, and the ladies are in the room going, yeah, but he only said it to us. Hang in there with me. Some of us, the struggle is, we recoil against the idea of this old-fashioned, that's the way it used to be. That's not the way we live life anymore. And the confusion is centered on the word submit. But I've got a secret to tell you. If you were to pull the Greek text out this morning and read the Greek text in its original context, in its original form, guess what word is not there? Yes, that word. You're going, well, how is it put in the text then? 
Stay with me. There's not a mistake in your Bible. Don't work it out. Don't erase it. Don't get rid of it, okay? Because it, the thought's there, but the word's not there. If you want a literal translation of verse 22, it would be this. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And you're going to go, huh? Why? Because there's no, uh, there's parts of the sentence missing. There's, there's no action. There's no verb here. You're going, there's, and, and let me tell you, in the Greek language, there's not one. So in Greek, when you don't have a verb, here's what you have to do. As a translator, you have to supply the verb to make it make sense into the language you're translating into. And you're thinking, well, why didn't he choose a word like uh, beat up or whip? Or abuse. How about, why did you use those words? Because they don't fit the context of the text. And if you don't use the context of the text, you take it out of context and you end up with a mess. Y'all with me? So here's what the translators, since the earliest English translations have done, is they've supplied a form of that word to help us understand what he's talking about. Why? Because when you read into verse 23, what you see is the idea, the concept of submission. You're going, but I don't like submission. Guess what? As a child of God, we're called to, wait, 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 submit to who? To Christ. So you don't like that word? You don't like that concept? Wait a second, time out. We got a problem. What I want you to grasp here is there's a bigger idea going on here. I think we miss it because we want to focus on the word that we struggle with instead of the meaning of the verse. Hang in there with me. The idea, I believe, from in, coming from the Greek into the English is this. You need to be true to your own. That's the word that goes in the blank. To be true to your own. You're going, well, isn't that just a synonym for submit? Not exactly. The context is there. The idea of submission is there. Don't misunderstand. I'm not throwing it out. But the idea and the focus is more on being true to who? To your own. To your own what? To your own husband. To have that relationship, as he's going to give in the verses an illustration of, a relationship that we have from us to Christ, that Christ has to us, that we have this, uh, this amazing symbiosis between us and Christ. Remember, Paul's writing to a really messed up culture, a culture where women dominated the, the, the culture, women dominated the religion, women dominated everything. And some of you ladies would say, well, that's because the men wouldn't do anything. Maybe that's true, but that's not the biblical standard. That's what Paul's laying out. The biblical model is for men to lead the family and to have a responsibility for the family. Some of you ladies may be thinking, I wish my husband would. That's a biblical viewpoint that you hold. Now, does that mean it always works? We all know it doesn't. We all know families where wives have, for whatever reason, have had to step up and lead their families. And we applaud them and we encourage them and we pray for them and we're there for them. We're not there to tear them down. But he wasn't denigrating women here. He was not denigrating their importance. He's saying that wives to whom he writes in this passage need to be true to their husband. They needed to build their marriage together. They needed to work as a unit to build the best family they could. I think what he's calling for is this, teamwork. You've heard the phrase, it's real popular right now, this in our public schools. Teamwork makes the, see, y'all know it, dream work. We want a marriage that works. It's a dream, right? It's going to take some work. He uses the example of Christ and the church to illustrate his point. He says, Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, meaning that there's this intimate relationship between Jesus and his church. It's a both and relationship. 
Christ's relationship is to be emulated. So, guys, we haven't got to you yet, but the reality is, is you get to fill the role of Jesus. How do you like that, guys? We'll get to you all in a minute. Ladies, though, get to do what? Work with, partner with, be true to, walk alongside, be the biggest encouragement she can to her own, to her own husband. I love the passage. Have you ever read the the Song of Solomon? Uh, It's kind of entertaining reading, uh, and it's got a lot of innuendo in it, so be careful when you get too far into it. But Song of Solomon in uh, chapter 2, verse 16 says this. This describes uh, the wife describing her husband as Solomon wrote the words. He said, my beloved is mine, and I am his. Well, that's a great description, ladies, for what he's talking about here in this passage, is that you look at your husband and go, He's mine, and I'm his, and we're a partnership, and we're a team, and working together. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. She's looking at him going, we're in this together. We're a team. You lead, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. The big idea is the wife lifts lifts up her own husband, serving as the biggest encourager and better able to lean into his role, as we're going to talk about next. Some say the, way, the role of the wife is difficult. That may be so, but I think the difficult one comes next, guys. So hang on. Look at the verses beginning in 25. He said, husbands, love. Let me make it real clear here. That's not physical love, and that's not a friendship love. That is a godly Love he uses here. You're going, how do you know that? Because Greek has multiple words for love, and the word he chooses to put here is not the one for friendship, and it's not the word for physical relationship. It's the one for godly love. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? However you want to. No. He says, this is how you do it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Hey, guys, piece of cake, right? (laughs) Not hardly. That's why I said I think it's harder part for the guys here. We spent the last few minutes considering the complementary role of the wife. Let's turn to the complementary role of the husband. Remember, Ephesus was a female-dominated culture in many, many ways. So these words read at the church, gathered in Ephesus, would have come across as like radical thought. Things that are like, man, this is, this is like insurrection. We start living this way in our culture, they're going to think we've lost our ever-living minds. That's kind of the short definition of following Jesus, by the way. You live in such a way that everybody thinks you're nuts. You with me? Because the way of Jesus is so radically different from the way of the world. And Paul opens with a direct command to the Christian husbands in the church. He says this, agape your wives. Love your wives with a godly love. Love them like Jesus loves the church. Wow. He says, be like Jesus. Some of you guys are going, man, I don't know if I could do that. Can I tell you something? I don't know if I could do it either. But here's the beautiful part. We don't have to do it in our own strength, guys. We get the Holy Spirit to guide us. 
So he turns again to this role model of Christ and church. I mean, think back to what we talked about on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus had done what for us as the church? He had laid his life down. He'd been resurrected on the third day. He came back to life. He gave his all for his bride. Who's his bride? The church. This is the call he has for us guys, for our wives, to give our all for them. Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? Now, Paul gets a little theological here as he describes it, but it's appropriate. And just as Jesus works to sanctify his church, so husbands, you are to work to bless your wife. The big idea is not the husband dominates his wife. Christ doesn't dominate us. He does what? He invites us into a relationship. He invites us into something positive, something better. Godly husbands then have a task to lovingly invite their wives to a better place, a higher way of living. Some of you wives are going, I don't think those guys exist. Ladies, I'm going to tell you something. I think you're right most of the time. Because we in the church sometimes shy away from this. But guys, you have a job to do in a godly, spiritual relationship of marriage. Solomon wrote his description by a husband for his wife this way. He looked at her and said, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. I think what he's telling us, guys, is we need to look at our wives in such a way we don't go, well, where's supper? Why aren't my shorts clean? Why didn't you go ahead and mow the yard so I didn't have to? But instead, to lift her up, beautiful, pleasant, a delight. See, just like Christ looked at us in our lostness and saw a better way for us, so a husband is to look at his wife and love her like the church. Don't look down on her. Look up at her. Lift her up. Don't find fault. Find ability. Encourage those. Don't see her as a burden, but ultimately as an extension of your own self. And then he goes a step further, further, beginning in verse 28. Look at this one. He says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body so I think what he's going to go ahead and add to having this Christ-like love is to do this to truly love your wife love her like you love yourself love her like you you love your hobbies like you love your activities like you love everything else in life love her above all of that and virtually all people let me tell you all of us treat ourselves and we make choices in our lives about how to live based on this what we think is best for who for us guys we do it women do it but our call as men is this to make a decision based on what we perceive is to be the very best thing for us maybe not for me but for us Paul calls these godly husbands to step out of the selfish approach and step into a role filled by Jesus. I got to tell you, that's a high calling, guys. But I really do believe that he's laying out the idea that this is how we build families that make a difference, that are worth having in the long run. Let's face it, guys. Many of our homes are really struggling because the one person responsible to lead is either absent or is silent. Who are we talking about? 
Yeah, guys, that's us. That's our job. And we shirk it and we walk away from it and we hope it happens and we hope it turns out okay. Now, don't hear this as a basis that women need to be pushed aside and ignored. That's not the point. We talked about that in the first point. There's a complementary relationship there and there's a, there's a, a working together. But remember the call here, the thought here is a call for husbands to love their wives as they love themselves, working for the very best for her because ultimately why? What's best for her, guys, is best for you. When you lift her up, you lift you up. When you encourage her, you encourage you. When you bless her, guess who you bless? You. So many of the guys in our culture today say, well, it's, I'm going to go do what I want to do. I can tell you story after story of men who said, well, I'm going to go do what I want to. And she take care of the house. She can raise the kids. Guess what, guys? You're hurting yourself. You're kicking yourself in the foot. See, when a husband treats his wife as mere support or worse, he hurts himself. He settles for something God never intended you to have. So for a man to truly show love for his wife is this, emulate the love of Jesus. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just like Christ does who? The church, because we're members of his body. We read over in Romans these words, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the big idea here is just as Jesus showed his love through crucifixion, husbands, we're to die for our wives. You're going, you mean literally? Probably not. Though there may come a time when you have to. But to do whatever it takes. Some of you guys are going, I don't want to do that. Let me tell you something, that's the high calling. The issue comes down to this, guys. What's most important in life, you or your family? I would tell you this. As you take care of your family, you take care of you, and you bless you, and you come out in the long run ahead. God designed us for worship and to relate to him. Then he designed us to have a relationship with our wives. Then he called us to relate to our children. And then after that, everything else comes. I I had a conversation years ago with a guy who vehemently disagreed with this position. But I'll tell you this. I believe the Bible's order is this. I'm supposed to have a relationship with Jesus first, with my wife second, with my children third, and then whatever comes next after that. So in my life, that means as your pastor, the best you get from me is number four. You're going, huh? Because Jesus comes first, my wife comes second, my kids come third, and my calling comes fourth. Wow. Some of you are going, that's not right. You should put us first because we're the church. No, we put Jesus first. And when you put Jesus first, it all falls into line and is a lot better. Guys, don't sacrifice your wife. Don't sacrifice your family at the altar of your career, at the altar of your hobbies, at the altar of your preferences, at the altar of what you think you got to do with your time. Because guys, as husbands, we have a higher calling than that. And we need to live up to it. Told you guys, it's harder, I think, on us. So what do you do with that? He comes back in verse 31 to 33 and brings it together, I think. Therefore, build 
build your family for the Lord. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. He brings it back again. And let the wife see she respects her husband. Now, I think the call here for wives to be true to their own, for husbands to have Christ-like love and to truly love their wives, Paul says, okay, let's do it together. Let's build a family for Jesus. Last week we talked about the first principle. What was it? Got to have a foundation. Who's our foundation? Jesus. If we don't have the foundation of Jesus, we're not building anything worth having, guys. But if you got that, let's build something great. And it comes in with the husband and wives building a relationship together. And what Paul does is lay out a pathway where a family can build a great life together. And he lays out two thoughts. I want you to see them real quickly here. First, it begins with a decision that says this. We're going to leave our family of origin and build a family together. So that mean you've got to ignore your mom and dad when you get married? Didn't say that. You got to kick grandma out of the curb when you get, no, it didn't say that. But here's the reality. Listen to the order that God lays it out. Husband, no. Wife, no. God first, right? Then the spouse, then your children, then whatever career you have. Where does that leave mom and dad? Where does that leave your grandmother? Where does it leave everybody else? Well, they're in the mix, but they're not in the top four, guys. Why? Because we're supposed to build a family to the Lord together. Build a family able to bless each other, to bless their children if they have them, to bless people around them, and ultimately to bless God. What happens when a family is created is a high call of God. One of the most amazing things I get to be involved in is a wedding ceremony. Now, I know it's old-fashioned now. People just say, we're going to live together now and don't worry about it. But let me tell you something. They're missing the greater blessing of building a family unto the Lord when they do that. That's where it starts. We want Jesus in the middle of it all and to create a unique unit. And a couple who knows the Lord will take this special meaning as God's family is built. And then the second thought is this, to allow love and respect to grow in the relationship. This is where it gets fun. How do you build this family? You know what the number one thing most husbands want in life? Let me change that. You know what the number one thing wives want in life? They want love. They want to be loved. You know what men want? They want respect. And that's what he calls to her here, to have these two come together and build a family together. A family unit built on the Lord in this manner results in amazing things that happen and gains are made and and lives are changed and, and they begin to speak this language of love to each other and they begin to understand each other and God works in a way that's amazing. That's why Paul reiterated the whole thing over to the, another church at Colossae when he said this, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's a relationship we build. And as a couple who knows the Lord seeks to build up and encourage each other, the supernatural outcome is a home where Jesus is lifted up and lives are changed. And when that happens, look out. It's good. So how do you start all this? Y'all know the answer to that. We talked about it last week. We begin with who? With Jesus. If Jesus isn't in your life, building a godly marriage is going to be tough. That's why the Bible tells us to not be unequally yoked, a believer with an unbeliever. 
It's amazing that people will say, well, but I love him. Is he a follower of Jesus? No, he doesn't care about God's things at all. You do? Guess what you're going to have for the rest of your life? A conflict over that. Come together in the Lord. Build a family together and God will be blessed through it. And you'll be blessed through it. And the people around you will be blessed for it. And your community will be blessed for it. And it all becomes worth living as we build our homes and improve our lives.